your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. You'll know uh, that we began our teaching lessons on the book of Romans, and we made it through all of three verses last week. Three verses, and we had such a great time. If you were here um, last Sunday and, and you had a good time in the Word of God, just say amen. And if you were not here or you didn't have a good time, don't say anything. But I enjoy God's Word. God is faithful and He is a loving God. He's a patient God with us, His people. And He desires for us to grow in His Word. Uh, last week, we dove into the word calling or call, the, where, we, where the, the Greek word kaleo is found throughout the book of Romans uh, numerous times, four, four times in chapter one, the word call or called. And so we know that's important to Paul because he truly believed that God called him into a very special relationship for a very special purpose. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can confuse this idea of calling, thinking that, that the only kind of calling is for one to be called into a, a kind of full-time ministry. But first and foremost, the word calling really is emphasized in a relationship that one is called to have with God himself. And that is simply based on a faith in Jesus Christ as God. And that calling that God has upon our lives that brings us into that relationship with God through Jesus is the most important thing. Others are called into full-time ministry, maybe at the point that they give their life to Jesus, like my grandfather, he got saved and knew God had called him into ministry at the same time. And others respond to the calling to full-time ministry or, or paid vocational ministry later on, like myself. Nonetheless, God desires to call every person, every body. Repeat this word so everybody say, everybody. God's desire is to call everybody into a relationship with him. And that's what he's trying to get through to the church at Rome. So let's go ahead and pick up in the scripture. We're going to pick up in verse 1. I'm going to read through these first three verses, but then we're going to, we're going to start our, our study in verse 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. We talked about the importance of the cross, but that where the true power of Jesus was established through the resurrection. That there have been many different martyrs for the purposes of their faith, but where Jesus is different is he is set apart. 
is that he was resurrected from the dead. In other words, the power of God through the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead people. Amen. And through him, verse 5, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. He's talking to the Romans and he's saying, hey, you, who are a people who are predominantly Gentile, that means non-Jewish, are called into this faith and he's calling Gentiles into a kind of obedience. Now, how many of you know it's quite a stretch to take somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus, doesn't know anything about God, and then expect them to come into this some kind of obedience or some kind of um, relationship with God before knowing what any of it means? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And so... Paul then goes through the whole book of Romans explaining what that means. And he goes to great lengths explaining what it means to come into an obedient relationship to God through Jesus. And that's what the book of Romans was meant to do, was to give us good doctrine, good theology, good teaching, so that we could understand these things. I also want to congratulate Brother Reese and his beautiful bride on getting married. God bless you. God, God bless you, too. I haven't had the chance of formally meeting his beautiful bride, but Mia, Stephanie, God bless you. Congratulations. So we're going to pause there in verse 6. Let's go back up to, to verse 4 right now. It says, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the necron. The word for dead is necron. And what we need to understand and so that we have a good doctrine. Good doctrine means that we have sound teaching. That we can take our faith or our, our flag, the flag of faith, and put it deeply and soundly into good doctrine. Good doctrine means that our faith is established upon um, um, a solid understanding of who God is and what our faith means because it's from there that we derive our behaviors, our actions, and the way we live. You see, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our values are all established first and foremost. You, you could talk to any psychologist, and they'll let you know that you have to have a certain belief or conviction in something, which in, in turn affects your attitude towards the world or, and particular things, issues, even politics, even our way of life. And then our values are established based on our faith, our belief and our action, our attitudes. And then from our values, you guys, our actions then are established. And that means how we live. So people are able to see how we live. And because of how we live, people will know who we serve. Did you catch what I just said? 
People will see because of the way you live who you serve and who you live for. And they'll know about your faith. Faith is not a foreign concept to human beings. Just about everybody in the world understands what faith is. Faith is a belief system. Faith is a person in our, in our case. Faith is Jesus. Faith is God himself. And us inviting God through Jesus Christ into our lives. And so our faith is established through this man named Jesus who came from heaven, came from God. As my father would like to say, was the visible expression of an otherwise invisible God. And that visible, tangible, bodily, fleshly, physical, material representation, explanation. Jesus is the interpretation of who God is. And that's what is so beautiful about Jesus is that he was a gift to us so that we could have a better understanding. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to come to this rock, the earth. Wow. He chose us. He didn't choose a horse. He didn't choose a Martian if there are any, didn't choose a fish. He chose us, human beings. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God, in his likeness, fashioned and formed after the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So right here in verse 5, we now are seeing that Paul is making a transition from his conversation about God the Father and the gospel of God, and then he changes now the subject. And so the subject now is changed from God himself to Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 5. Because at the end of verse 4, he, he refers to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, it says, through him, dia, through him, and for his name's sake. Now Paul is talking about Jesus Christ. Which Jesus is now going to be the subject of everything else that Paul now begins to talk about. And it's through him, verse 5 says. And for his name's sake, the name of Jesus Christ. We received grace and apostleship. To call people from among all the Gentiles. Now we see that word call here again. We're. We received grace, grace from God, given through the gift, which is Jesus Christ. Now we're called into apostleship. That means that he, God is calling us to be a part of his plan to bring the message or the good news to all the world. Okay, people. 
But there's going to be a key moment here in verse 15 and 16 that we're going to, we're going to study and we're going to take a look at and see why the world, why sometimes unbelievers have a problem with Christians, with people of faith. We're going to see here in a moment. It's interesting to point out, though, here the word Gentiles and the way that Paul is saying that everybody is without excuse. Jews and Gentiles, everybody is one and the same. And God desires that we would come to a, a salvation point in our lives. And that salvation point means that we are believing in Jesus. We're inviting Jesus into our hearts and into our lives to change our lives. To cause us to live differently. And then he says. To call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now. How many of you know that the Jews are the root of our faith? The Jewish people, Israel, everybody say Israel. Israel is also known as Jacob. And the father of faith was Abraham. In the book of Genesis, we learn of this man named Abraham that God chose. He selected him. He was a Bedouin. He was from modern or current day Iraq. He was not a Jewish, before, a Jewish person before that. Abraham's, Abraham's son was Isaac. And Isaac's son was Jacob or Israel. He had two names. And so the people of Abraham, now Isaac, and Jacob are referred to as Israel. And God's promise to Abraham was that he would be the father of many nations. And that the, the, the sole purpose of the Jews would be to bring salvation to all the world. So you see, the Jews were meant to be the chosen people and given a chosen purpose. And many have come to understand that Israel or some Jews today refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is or Jesus as the Messiah. Some have come to a saving faith and have believed that Jesus is Messiah. And so they have come to the understanding that God wants to save all mankind through his chosen people. Which is why we as the, as the church, somebody say the church, we have to pray for Israel. We have to pray that the Lord would, would move and change Israel's heart. That they would recognize Jesus as Lord. And Paul grappled with that because he was a Jew. And before he had come to a saving faith, he was persecuting the Christians. He was persecuting those who believed in Jesus. And he was one of the first persons 
that could not stand the fact that these so-called Christ followers believed that they were a part of God's family too. He's like, you guys are illegitimate, if that. Until God got a hold of Paul's heart and knocked him off his, his so to speak, high horse. And God said, I got, a, I got a plan for you, Paul. I got a plan that you didn't, you didn't even see coming. How many of you know that God has a plan for you even though you don't even know it's coming? Let's go to verse 5. Well, we're kind of already there. It says, through him, or let's go to the, the, the last portion where it says, and to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. I want to talk about obedience for a moment. O obedience can also be interpreted as trust. And how many of you know that sometimes when you talk about obedience, it's really hard to obey someone or something that we don't trust. Right? In the last couple of years, our nation has gone through a very, very uh, difficult time trying to understand our, our job, our role as civilians, and our relationship with the authorities, people in uniform. And there has been a great chasm, a great distrust that has been established on the streets throughout our nation. How many of you have seen that play out? On, the on a national stage here in the United States of America. All you got to do is open up social media and you see that the breach of trust between law enforcement um, and how people are treated. We know that we need law enforcement. We know that we need government. We know that we need law. We also know that we need justice. We also know that we need fair treatment. We also know that we need trust so that we all can coexist and so that we can all live in harmony and in peace. And so my question to this verse right here is how would Gentiles come to a place of obedience to God before they even understand who God is? Why would anybody want to subject themselves to this new faith or this spiritual law? Why would anybody want to subject themselves to a certain way of life, a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of believing before they understand everything that it's about? As kids, we're raised to obey our parents, right? Since you're, since you're a kid, you, you better obey. You better do what I tell you or else. And then you get to be about 13, 14, you start to smell yourself a little bit and you say, or else what? All of a sudden we test all those boundaries. We test, we test all those things, those structures that were, were put in place. You know, we get a little rebellious. Can I hear an amen? I remember I was a little rebellious at 13 and a half. Same age as my son Judah. I got a little rebellious. 
Got the last butt whooping of my life. Somebody liked that one. And after my dad closed the door and said, now, now think about it. I was behind that door. As soon as he walked out of that door, I was like puffing. I was cussing in my brain. God, forgive me. Because you start to think for yourself. You start to ask questions, good questions, important questions. How many of you know that questions are good? How many of you know doubting things and, 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 and testing and trying things is, is good for discernment? Because God is patient with us and, and God wants to make sure that we in our heart and in our mind are in line together to bring us to that place so that we can have a firm, solid foundation of trust. And, and, and because we're talking about the things of faith, God wants to make sure that even the Gentiles that are coming into this knowledge through Paul's ministry, his teaching, his letter to the church at Rome, are able to bring themselves to a place of obedience to God. And so that's why he writes the book of Romans as a theology handbook, as a, as a doctrine primer, as a textbook for the faith. Hoping that they would be able to understand so that they would have their, their epiphanies or their spiritual aha moments. And, you know, some of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time. We were raised in church, some. Not everybody was raised in church, but those folks that were raised in church, you were taught certain things. You were taught the Bible in junior church or youth group. You were taught in sermons and you are taught in, right, discipleship groups. You're taught in home Bible studies what to believe. And then as you grow older, you get to a place where you start to ask all those questions. You're like, man, you know, I really want to make sure that this faith is my faith and not just my parents' faith. I want to make sure that this walk is not, is my walk. High schoolers, pay attention. College students, young people, pay attention. Ask questions about everything you hear and learn in church. Ask questions. Talk to God. Don't stop talking to God. But ask God to reveal to you through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you'll have understanding. God is not a man that he should lie. Ask good questions of your faith so that you can understand why God wants you to reach your own peers. So that God can show you why and how he wants you to live out your faith. So that you can stand on your own two feet. So that in your own walk with Jesus, you can apply everything that you're learning and everything else that you've learned. And make it yours. So that it's... You have a, a, a faith that is substantial. A faith that people could touch. People can feel. People can see. People can hear. And, and that authenticity and that realness in your faith is so important in this day and age. Where there is so much distrust and so much mistrust in the world in general. In every which way. Employees are, are dis mistrusting of their, their employers. 
people are distrusting of the church, the institutionalization of the church. And what is the church? And why is the church here? And why do we go to church? Why do, why do I need a tithe? Why do I need to act or behave? You don't need to do anything. But let God speak to you so that your faith could be real and it could be your faith and not anybody else's faith. Because that's when it's really going to matter. That's when your life is really going to start to evolve and change and transform for the better in Christ. Not anybody else, not parents pushing it on their kids. Now, parents, don't stop leading your kids. Don't stop shaping. Don't stop molding. Don't stop encouraging. Don't stop brainwashing them. Don't stop any of that. You, you keep putting Jesus, tucking him deeply and firmly into their hearts, into their ears, into their minds, into their lives, backing it up with love, backing it up with sitting and listening, backing it up with a good Christian witness, backing it up with your ability to understand where they're coming from. Why? So that everyone can be brought into that place of obedience, of trust. Most of us, we won't obey unless we trust the person that we got to obey. About eight years ago, my father and I, we got asked to, to, to um, be the chaplains for a week-long um, horse race chaplains conference right here in Redondo Beach at the Crown Plaza Hotel. It was really cool. Pops and I, we were, we were tag teaming. I'd, I'd teach one, then he would teach one, and we, we alternated for about three or four days. It was really cool getting a chance to meet these brothers from all over the country, from Lexington, Kentucky, from Santa Anita, I mean, all the way back east, all the big, huge arenas and all these these chaplains that are in the backs with all these brothers from all around the world that are jockeys and horse trainers and owners. I mean, it's a whole other world. And, you know, in a funny way, they wanted to bless us with the little gift at the little reception dinner that they had at the end. And, and this, this gentleman brought my, my dad up and gave him a little plaque, a little you know, token of appreciation. It was really, really cool. And, and, and some of you may have heard me share this story before. And, and, and he, he invited me up in front of this whole big room. He says, yeah, I want to give this now to Josh. And he gave it to me like that. And I reached out to grab it. And then he pulled it away. So I kind of grabbed the air and everybody, you know, got a good laugh out of it. I was like, all right, cool. I'm the butt of your joke. And then he goes, no, no. He went to give it to me again. And I went to reach out the second time. And he pulled it back again and made everybody roar in laughter again a second time. He goes, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I was like, all right, I see how this is going. So he tried to give it to me the third time and I didn't take it. And I just stared at him. He goes, here, I don't want it from you. I said, you can give it to my dad. He'll give it to me because I trust his hands. So I turned it on him. I was quick on my feet. Don't try to judge me. I ain't nobody's fool. He gave it to my dad and 
he turned red as your, your sweatshirt. And my dad gave me, he'd go, son, I said, thank you, pops. And I said out loud, I trust his hand. That hand has fed me my whole life. And everybody started clapping and understood what was going on. We have to come to that place of understanding who is calling us into obedience. And that's called the courting phase. Paul was courting Rome. Paul was having a, 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 a dating relationship with Rome. Writing letters to Rome on behalf of God. Wooing them into a relationship where they could ask the questions where they could read in between the lines, where they could understand God's role and purpose for the Jew and the Gentile alike. Because the majority of the people that were there in Rome were Gentiles. And why would a Gentile, after all, want to pay any attention to Paul who is writing this letter or this faith or this religion that they're seeing and that they're hearing about and they're learning about when it's been this other people for all intents and purposes called the Jews? That's their religion. That's their faith. But what Paul was trying to say, you guys, is this. Yes, I understand it was for the Jew first, but then it now comes to all the rest of you. Paul says, you all, all of you at Rome. And that's what Paul emphasizes. He says, that's the reason why I'm writing to you. Because God called me to the Gentiles. I want to let, let, let that sink in real quick. Paul was called to reach the Gentiles. That was his calling. That was his purpose. And that's what he's trying to explain here in the book. He has to establish some credibility with Gentiles. He's got to establish a relationship with them so that they could warm up to what is being taught and preached about Jesus. And I would like to make the bold claim today that we in the 21st century church have got to do that even with our own people in the church. That we have got to understand, you guys, that God has called us, watch this, this is crazy, to reach one another and to remind one another why our faith, your faith, my faith, his faith, her faith is real and it's legit and that God exists. It's like we have to remind the whole world all over again who God is. We have to start teaching one another and reminding one another of who God is and who Jesus is by the way that we live and by the way that we believe and by the way that we faith. Because there are so many people that are falling away from Jesus. There are so many people that are falling away from the church. There are so many people that don't want anything to do with the body of Christ. 
So this passage is just as important today as it was in the first century to the church at Rome. My wife and I, 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 I look at the dynamic of my, my wife and I in our relationship, right? We have to remind each other every day why we love each other. We are, I, you love me, baby? Don't start with those questions. But I always like asking those questions. You guys like asking questions like, you love me, baby? Why do you love me? Keep them coming. And then we remind each other why we love each other and why we, why we said yes to each other almost 20 years ago. And why three, three beautiful children later, we would do it all over again. All because God has called all the world into an obedient faith through Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's go to verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. You see that? And you are also Rome, church at Rome, Mission Ebenezer. You are also among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Los Angeles, God loves you. Las Vegas, God loves you. Just not the Raiders. I'm messing. Rome, God loves you. God loves you. Rome was, don't forget, Rome was the, the center of the Roman Empire. It's the center of it all. And at this particular point in history, probably mid 50 AD, in the dispersion of the Jews from Jerusalem, the diaspora, when the Jews began to be spread all over the Roman world, the known Roman world, and because of the roads and the infrastructure of the Roman Empire, they began to establish religious centers all throughout the Roman Empire. And so wherever there were Jews, all throughout the Roman Empire, you had these people who were cho the, the chosen people of God, the Israelites. Well, now the gospel through Jesus Christ is starting to be sent and impact these same centers, these same cities. And so the church is starting to spring up and it's starting to grow. And, and, and we as the church can, can appreciate and can um, see that the Roman Empire created the possibility for our faith to spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire at that time. So it was, it was God's doing that made it possible. 
Verse 7 says that to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy ones, his saints. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He's continuing in the preamble. And this is like the introduction to the whole book of Romans. Because faith is being reported, your faith is being reported all over the world. He's building them up now, isn't he? God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. See, he had not not yet been able to go. He wanted to go and visit them in, in person. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Do you see that right there? That's, that's that, that, that notion again that we have to encourage one another in the faith. We have to edify one another through the spiritual gifts that God has given to each and every one of us. So that's why in the, in the church, it's important for us to remain connected to the body of Christ. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am obligated both to the civilized and uncivilized. Your version may say Greek, And non-Greek. What does your version say? Greeks and non-Greeks are civilized and uncivilized. Um, In in Greek, the word for uncivilized is barbarois. Barbarians. Basically, it was people who were a little rough. A little rough around the edges. They're like civilized, uncivilized. He said the gospel is for everybody, not just people who are civilized, not just people who think that they're better than others, not just people who have a sophisticated language or educational or learning system, not just people who wear suits and ties, which is why our Christian faith and movements uh, within the last couple hundred years have been criticized um, for the missiological attempts to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to unreached places around the world. And people are saying, well, why did you impose suits and ties upon a people who don't care whether or not they wear suits and ties? Are you, are you tracking with me? So we as Christians, hey, let's, let's not be too hard on ourselves. You know, we may have made some mistakes, but with good intentions. Let's not throw, you know, early missionaries or 
18, 19, 20th century missionaries into the fire because of their attempts to want to bring Jesus into parts of the world that never received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, there's a big, there's a huge missionary or missiological bashing movement. And we say, okay, 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 we get you, we hear you. We want to raise up indigenous Christians from far and distant lands around the world that have never heard of Jesus. We want to put the gospel into the hands of the, 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 the native people from those lands so that they could reach their own people in their own languages. So Paul is saying here, I want you to understand people at Rome, church in Los Angeles, that the gospel is for all people. Gangsters, businessmen, drug dealers, and drug addicts, housewives, and just your regular old good person who doesn't know God and has no faith and who believes in the earth. The gospel is for all people. Oh my goodness, I barely saw the time. I'm so sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> okay, let me get to the, what, my last point and I'll let us go. He says, both to the wise and the foolish. And that is why I am so eager to, to evangelize. He says, to preach the gospel, to evangelize also to you who are at Rome. Because you deserve, basically, you deserve Jesus too. What did that mean? It means you deserve forgiveness. You deserve to have a to be, have a right standing relationship with God. You deserve the grace that I've experienced and the mercy of God and his patience and his love and his joy too. Yes, even Bronco fans. I'm not, here, here it is. I'm going to end right here. Does your version in verse 16 say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, or does it say, for I am not ashamed? Okay, if your version does not have the word for, F-O-R, you need to write it in there because it's there in Greek. For, in other words, he's saying, because, right? Because, for, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, because shame has not imposed itself upon me. In other words, nothing can change the way I feel about God. In other words, no one can ever take away from me what God has already given to me. In other words, my salvation, which is established in Christ Jesus, is mine, and you can't take it back. In other words, I don't care what anybody says. 
I love God. I believe in God. I receive Jesus Christ. He's forgiven me of my sin and all my mistakes and all my transgressions. He has made me right with him. When I was yet a sinner, he forgave me where I was in my rebellion, in my wickedness, in my, my ego, in my, my selfishness. God forgave me and he, he died on the cross for my sins and for all the world. Paul says, and I am a witness. I am testifying to God's goodness. Hallelujah. am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care if the televangelist on the other side of the country has just fallen into sin. That has nothing to do with me and my life and my walk in obedience with God because I'm working out my faith. It has nothing to do with the failures of the church because we're all human beings. I am going to serve my God because Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for my sins. And I have received Jesus. And I have received his forgiveness. And may his grace and may his peace shower us. May his grace fall upon us. May we... May we thank him. May we not judge. I read a, a recent article that said, should I continue to let my seven-year-old daughter play with the seven-year-old young girl who lives across the street whose parents are evangelicals, which basically just means who live their life in such a way to want to introduce Jesus to everybody that they meet. This person wrote this article and asked this question. Should I keep letting my daughter, who is not a Christian, play with the other daughter of the Christian family because I doubt their sincerity? I think they only want to be friends with us so that we can go to their church and so that we can espouse their faith. I was like, yes, I love those hard questions. This is awesome. This is great. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch this. Watch this. What it does, it does. It, it, it uncovers evangelical hypocrisy, evangelical unauthenticity and we're all we've all been victims of this or we've all have fallen into a kind of thinking or a way of life that says you know what yeah I want to befriend them you know and I want to introduce them to Jesus yeah I do want but what, what we're learning though what we're seeing right here is watch this don't just befriend somebody so that you could try to make them a Christian don't just befriend your neighbor just because you want to invite them to church. And when they say no, thank you. And then when they say no, that we're good and you guys are good. And then you stop wanting to be their friend. See, that's the problem. Yeah. The problem is when, right, right. Amen. That's the problem. So what God is showing us and what we got to learn, you guys, is that you live your faith 
boldly so that people know who you are, know what you represent at all times. You have no ulterior motive. You want to befriend them and love them just because, because God first loved us. Jesus called his disciples, watch this. Jesus called his disciples, said, come follow me. And then they believed in Jesus as God, so they, they made Jesus their savior. And then Jesus became their master. They call him Lord. And then John chapter 15, it says, and then Jesus says, and now I call you friends. Did you just, did you just, did you understand that? Did you catch that? Jesus didn't apologize. Jesus said, I am who I am. I know who I am. Church, do you know who you are? If you know who you are, then live out your faith just the way you are, as bold as you are. Don't try to hoodwink anybody into becoming a Christian, into inviting them to church. You love them because you love them. Invite them to church. Don't shy away from inviting them to church or telling them about Jesus. They're going to pol politely refuse. That's cool too. But you continue to be the friends of everybody who is in the world. Because it's the right living out of your faith and my faith that is going to live and be louder than anything that we could ever do. That would be so real and so authentic and that, that the world would have to contend with your faith. Our faith. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're also not going to go out trying to live this fake life. This, No, that's not us. That's not what God has called us to. Right, church? Right?